0: Hi, I'm Arlen Walker, and I am live from Pelham's Wasteland, and today I have got more Adventures in Middle-earth 5th edition compatible stuff for you. Last time we covered what's in the player's guide and what is in the lore master's guide. Basically, what what comes with the core books? These these are the two core books for Adventures in Middle-earth. And then today, what we're going to talk about is the supplemental material. Now, I don't own all of the supplemental material in hardback. Um, I'm thinking about expanding my collection, which is a little more expensive now, unfortunately. So I'm going to talk about some of the ones that I don't own um, when I get to that sort of section of the the discussion. But I'm going to focus particularly on the ones that I do own which are adjust things here a little bit so that I've got a spot for these books in front of me. So the first one is the Rovanian region guide. Rovanian region guide is the region guide for the the main part of the Wilderland. Not technically everything. You can see the the region's that it covers on the inside cover. So that's the Vale of Anduin and the Merkwood and the Misty Mountains um, in, on the side here by my fingers. Um, doesn't really cover much about Erebor and Dale and Laketown. That stuff is covered um, in the Lonely Mountain region guide, which I've got here. Lonely Mountain Region Guide, right here. And um, you can see on the map here, it includes a lot of the Wilderland stuff in the north of Wilderland. It has little bits and pieces about some of this other stuff, but it really focuses on Erebor and Dale and some stuff on the Iron Hills and then some history of the dwarves and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then I have the... Rivendell Region Guide. The Rivendell Region Guide, which is the region guide for um sort of eastern areador. And we can see I'm gonna show the inside cover map here. Um Rivendell is right over here itself. But then obviously there's a lot more stuff that is covered, including, you know, there's Mount Graham and Carn Doom around here, Brie is out here, and there's actually a Brie book that I don't have, the Bree Land region guide. Um, but what do these region guides have? Well, the region guides come from the One Ring region guides, um, and they are essentially designed to flesh out the material about that part of the world, as well as often provide some kind of special uh, alternate or supplemental rules for um, things related to what the region guide is about. So, for instance, in the Rovanian region guide, what we have is a lot of stuff. There's, it's basically divided into a, a couple of sections. There's an introduction, and then there's one major section that is about the Vales of Anduin. And it goes through each kind of chunk of the Vales of Anduin and talks about, like, you know... Who who lives in this area? In terms of notable NPCs, in terms of the sort of generic peoples and all that sort of stuff, and talks about like you know what is the um, what are some landmarks or regional um, places of interest that you could end up going? So here, let me let me find a page that has some stuff. So um, that's Vales of Gundabad, Gray Mountain Narrows, here. East upper Vales. so we have this map that you can see in the middle and that is essentially the map of this part of the world for the lore master it has the um, the hex map version in here with the codes um, so it's it's the the lore masters version of the map and the lore master version of the whole area is on the inside back cover. So the inside of the front cover is the player's version of the map, the lore master's version of the map, with colored in and divided up regions, and um, all the information about these regions, including what hexes all of these different um, important things are in, are in there. But anyway, so for the upper east to upper vales, the east upper vales of the Anduin. It talks about um, what is this place like, what's sort of in the area, um, what kind of scenery could you expect traveling through here or in combat here, um, wildlife and inhabitants, and um, notable characters. So there's Viglund, apparently, in this part of the world, who is a, a medium-human evil-man. Um, he sort of lives. They sort of live in the shadow of um, Mount Gundabad and all that. So not surprising that they are evil. And then there's Viglár, the eldest of his sons, Saviga, the
1: goblin, Thunar, a uh, a uh, wandering warrior,
0: Astid, Viglin's daughter. Notable places. The Mouth of Dust and the Elfwood. Um, and then there's even, for instance, a, a new Fellowship phase undertaking. Gather Firewood in the Elfwood. So this is something that you could do if you're in the area during the Fellowship phase. And it says, Firewood gathered from the Elfwood, a region Merkwood is mostly free from Shadow Taint, burns warmly and merrily, raising spirits and warding off the bite of winter. When dried, it catches fire easily, even in the worst conditions. A character spending a fellowship phase at Bayorn's house or someplace nearby may choose this undertaking gather enough firewood for the following adventure phase that whatever journey event allows them to recover exhaustion, they also gain inspiration as an added benefit. And the journey events do things like recover exhaustion um, if you get a good journey event. So the idea being that if you have this special firewood, you get this bonus. Anyway, the next section of the book of this book, the Rovanian Region Guide, is the Merkwood stuff, and it's similar. It's regions of Mirkwood divided up with um, information about each region and notable places, notable people, all that sort of stuff. This is, this is all really great content, especially if you're going to sandbox. Um, if you are going to play through just the pre-written adventures, this is less necessary. Um, but it still has some really cool stuff. For instance, in the Ravanian region guide, you have new adversaries, and that's kind of the third section of the book, is a supplement to the bestiary that is in the Lore Master's guide. And let me find some stuff to show you. So, um, do-do-do... Here is a Hillman warrior, same same art from the One Ring, um, but it's a, a Hillman Warrior enemy to use against um, your player characters. These Hillmen are wild warriors of the Black Hills of the Vales of Gundabad. Their ancestors served the Witch King of Angmar, but they were given to the practice and they were given to the practice of sorcery. Today they do not serve the shadow, but should their old master summon them, most of them would readily answer. The hillmen can leave their bodies while sleeping in the form of spirit wargs and join the wild wolves in their hunts. So, yeah, pretty cool stuff. More beasts to use. And then there's some worked-out leader monsters, which is pretty cool. Magaz, the orc captain, and Nagraha, the chief of the wargs. Um, Some major spiders. Taller, the hunter. Talquin, the weaver. Sarquin, the
1: mother of all. more more spiders to use if you don't want to use just the generic
0: spider forest goblins hunter spiders all sorts of um neat monsters in the bestiary this doesn't include all of the um special kind of bonuses and and special features that come in the lore masters guide but you can use your, i think expected to use that with the stuff in here So you've got um, more monsters and more stuff for the area around the Mirkwood and the Vale of Anduin. Now, in my opinion, this, the Rovanian region guide, in some ways is the least cool of the region guides that I have and have looked at um, extensively because its special thing is really just this special bestiary. Now, by contrast... The Rivendell Region Guide has all of the same stuff that you would expect for the region around Rivendell and Eastern Ariador. So it's got uh, stuff about Imladris itself and the history of Ariador and the regions of Eastern Ariador, And it's got some new adversaries, another kind of
1: bestiary section. Let me flip to that. Page 69... Um, including
0: a number of special uh, new abilities for monsters that are designed to be even make them even extra tougher for challenging your high level parties. Um, and this sort of ties in with the way that the the Ariador, um Adventures book. Is which is sort of the companion to this, the Rivendell region guide, expects higher level characters. So I think the assumption is that you'll be fighting in you know, like what was or is now still technically, but not as active, Angmar and stuff like that. And there's some more monsters, um, greater stone trolls and ettans, goblins of Karn Doom, Hillmen of Rudar, that guy, he's got a, a sort of raven, on his helmet, more orcs, more orc chiefs and things like that to use, um, and then some nasty undead wraiths and uh, specters and uh, barrow whites and things like that, as well as... Um, At least one Nazgul. One Nazgul. The Lord of the Nazgul, the Witch King of Angmar, stat it out in case you want to um, do something like that. But then we have stuff for hordes and magical treasures. So essentially this is designed to um, give you um, rules for creating, you know, for instance, um, not just the Dragon Smogs Horde, but also the, the sort of troll horde that Bilbo and the Hobbits find in um, The Hobbit. Um, there's a whole bunch of trinkets that you can find with random tables for all of these trinkets and
1: stuff. And then we have magical treasure Anyway, and these are um,
0: more more stuff for Magical Treasure. There's some of it in the Lore Master's Guide, but there's more of it in here. Uh, New Enchanted Qualities. And I believe... I don't remember if it's in here or if it is uh, used in... Yes, the the Magical Treasure Index. Um, And then there's... um, Rules. I can't remember if it's in here specifically. I know it's in the the equivalent of this for Middle Earth. uh, Not Middle Earth, for One Ring. Um, But I can't remember if the rules about a magical item... One of the really cool concepts is that a magical item can grow in power as it sort of attunes to a character. And this is a way to have a magical item still be very valuable. Um, Obviously, magical items are always kind of valuable, but it's still... Um, have some kind of special quality that grows with the character as they go up in levels so that you don't end up with, you know, the character who got the the equivalent of the plus one sword early in the campaign going, oh, well, I'll just, you know, toss this plus one sword and grab the plus four sword that I found. Um, I don't think 5e, I think 5e only goes up to plus three weapons and armor, um, and even that is supposed to be really rare. But... um. The uh, the um, stuff in here is is very cool, um,
1: and it is great for creating um, special. Magical magical equipment for your players and again,
0: I can't remember if it's in this or the lore master's guide But there's rules for having it be so that like from level 1 to I think level 7 the magic item has one quality and then from uh, 8 to 14 it has another quality and then from 15 to 20 it has a third quality and so there's this idea that as you kind of attune yourself to this weapon and it becomes yours or this armor or whatever kind of magical item it is, you can um, gradually get get even more benefit out of it um, to represent it kind of becoming yours and, and you attuning to it and all that sort of stuff, which is really cool. Um, and then there is the hunt mechanic because one of the things that the Rivendell region guide does is um, pushes the... Uh, starting time or the pushes the date a little further and um one of the things that happens about five years after the original start date for um adventures in middle earth and the one ring five or seven years i can't remember exactly is that sauron um returns to Mordor and declares himself he he sort of sends out the messengers to say hey I'm back guys and I'm ready to you know gather up the armies of evil creatures and all of that sort of stuff and and the wise find out about this and so there's rules in here for Sauron's attention of the party basically how um his kind of how much his will can grasp what they're doing and um, all of that sort of stuff and his ability to uh, malignly influence them, which is really cool.
1: It's really great in The Wonder Ring. It's really great in here. Um, So, yeah. That is... um, That's that. And then the last
0: thing that this Rivendell region guide has is rules for a new heroic culture, which is the High Elves of Rivendell. And the High Elves of Rivendell are just a new culture that you can choose. Um, Cultures, remember, in Adventures in Middle-Earth work kind of like race in basic D&D, in basic 5e. Um, And you get some new stuff, so there's new cultural virtues, there's new cultural heirlooms, um,
1: and all of that sort of stuff. So, Yeah. that is uh and there's some custom
0: journey tables at the back which is always great the custom journey tables are really good um but that is the rivendell region guide and then we get to so the one i don't have is the breland region guide breland region guide is kind of a mix in between the two types of supplements um, because it has rules for breland stuff it has either one or two new heroic cultures um it has the sort of gazetteer stuff. I don't believe it has any um custom rules like for magic items or anything like that in it. I think it just has the um the the the, the kind of gazetteer, but then it also has adventures. It has uh three different adventures in the Breland region guide. Um, and I believe they're statted out for level 1, level 2, level 3 so that if you wanted to start a campaign using the Breland Region Guide instead of using um, Wilderland, you could do that Um, and then we have the Lonely Mountain Region Guide, which is the stuff from the Erebor sourcebook for the One Ring Um, and it's got the same sort of stuff, a Gazetteer of the Kingdom Under the Mountain and Dale There's some new rules for Dwarven Smith weapons and Dwarven weapons enchanted by the Dwarves, similar to the the Elven enchanted stuff in the Rivendell region guide. Um, There's the War of Dwarves and Orcs information, and then the kind of craziest thing in here is Concerning Dragons, which gives you a whole process for generating up a dragon for your campaign now the expectation is that this is this is sort of the big boss This is the the big monster at the end of all the journeys or something like that um, This is not something to be done lightly But if you're adventuring in the Withered Heath or something like that you may run into a dragon or a drake or something like that and so it's got five steps to dragon creation, choose an age and breed. Define personality, choose actions and features, lair and horde. Choose a name and backstory. And, um, yeah, the, the dragon stuff is, is pretty
1: cool, in my opinion. Um, it's, it's very... I mean, it's, it's uh, yeah,
0: it's stuff, and this is stuff, actually, this is, I think, some of the closest to stuff to use in your basic 5E campaign, in your general 5E campaign, that um, creating a dragon in this way is likely to feel more um, More special, we might say. Um, more uh, a dragon as a unique monster rather than a dragon as just a monster, if that makes sense. Um, and I think that is where, that's, that gets into, in my opinion, where, and there's some random tables in here too, and all of that sort of
1: stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's it's great. And then there's all of these special things that
0: dragons can do, draconic features. So um, some of it is kind of obvious, like winged. But then there's things like sinister speech. As an action, the dragon can choose to address its enemies with evil words. Any intelligent creature that can hear the dragon and understand must make a wisdom saving throw, DC 13, plus the dragon's proficiency bonus, which can be as high as plus 5, uh, for an adult dragon i believe it's a, a plus three or a plus four so talking about you know like a seven, dc 17 proficiency uh wisdom saving throw or suffer disadvantage when attacking the dragon a creature affected by this feature can repeat the saving throw at the end of its turn ending the effect on a success um so that's a really cool way to give a dragon a special ability to mark it out as a unique monster Right, Orcs don't really talk to the party, but um, dragons might. So, anyway, I think this book in particular is really cool. I think Rivendell and Lonely Mountain are um, the best of the region source books because they have the most special rules in them. That's just my opinion. Um, but all of them are good. I have Breland in PDF. I haven't um, studied it as closely because I only have it in PDF and not in print, but... Anyway, in addition to region guides, what the Cubicle 7 put out is um, they kind of have two, two branches to supplements to Adventures in Middle-earth. And one is the region guides, and the other is the adventures. And the adventures are sets of linked adventures that go through um, the, the kind of area that... Um, that they are particularly kind of keyed to, if that makes sense. So there's Wilderland Adventures, and then there's ones I don't have, which are um, Ariador Adventures and Erebor Adventures, and the Rohan Adventures book didn't get converted before the line ended, unfortunately. So there's just the three different um, adventure books, plus the Adventures in Bree. Um, the Breeland Region Guide, like I mentioned, has, I think, three adventures in it, maybe four. Um, so it has a little bit of adventure content there for you, too. Um, but the big, the big thing for me is that Wilderland and Ariador actually sort of connect to each other. There's kind of an expectation. Wilderland is the characters from level 1 to level 7. Seven adventures, one level per adventure. And then Ariador is, I believe, six more adventures that take them through the next six levels. And so the idea is they spend kind of the first part of their adventuring career... ...in the Wilderland dealing with some of the stuff in here... ...and then they spend the next set of adventures... um, ...over on the other side of the Misty Mountains... ...dealing with stuff in Ariador. Anyway, so, Wilderland Adventures. What is actually in the book? Like I said, seven adventures... um, ...that start from the first one, levels one or two... ...up to the last one, level six or higher... So I guess technically you don't have to level um, with every adventure. That's just the way I've done it because that feels natural to me. Um, They can be run as connected adventures. They could also be run as unconnected. If you were sandboxing and you just wanted to get this book in order to add material to your sandbox every once in a while, um, that would work too. Um, You'd have to be, of course, a little more... um, well, you couldn't, you wouldn't be doing Milestone XP in that case in all likelihood, and you'd have to kind of think about, you know, you could easily get to the point where you can't use some of these adventures if the characters get too high level. Um, but the adventures in here, they're really good, in my opinion. Um, they use a lot of... Pretty much everyone uses all sort of three of the main kind of gameplay elements of Adventures in Middle-Earth, and that is combat as well as audiences, as well as journeys. And pretty much every adventure has at least one audience, at least one journey, and at least a little bit of combat or the potential for combat. Not everyone has um, guaranteed combat, or rather there are ways to try to avoid fighting. And that's actually a big thing, because one of the things that is interesting about the way that these adventures are written is that Um, despite the fact that 5e is a leveled system and has all these rules for for cr and monster balance and all that sort of stuff um the adventures in here present a much more dangerous world than base game fifth edition often does and by that i mean for example the very first adventure we played um The first adventure in this book so I'm gonna talk about spoilers for the first adventure in this book Um, hopefully that is not a problem for anybody who wants to go out and buy it um, or anything like that but anyway one of the sequences involves an NPC that the characters are traveling with who gets kidnapped by spiders and the player characters have to go to rescue him If the player characters in the process of rescuing this NPC alert the spiders to their presence, and there are a couple ways they can do this, but the main way is by failing one of the ability checks to get to the NPC, cut him down out of the web, and then get him back down. If they alert the spiders to their presence, on the first round after alerting the spiders, nothing happens, but there's quivering on all the webs, and they can tell that there's something moving. After that one adder cop, one spider appears every round. You might say okay, one spider that's not that bad. Adder cops are a four hit die creature. They have I believe 48 plus four hit points. Um, which I don't remember what that averages out to. I guess that's what 9 18 plus 4 22 22 hit points on average. Um I think that's right i'm pretty sure they're 48 plus four they might be forty ten. anyway a party of level one adventurers is going to have a lot of trouble killing off an adder cop every turn unless they have a really big party um especially when you consider that they're in all likelihood their top tier strength character their high skilled frontline melee fighter Is likely to be the one doing the climbing up the castle walls to rescue their NPC buddy So they're down at least one character and it's probably their frontline fighter or one of their frontline fighters and They're having four hit die creatures that appear every round Which is really nasty Really really nasty for first-level characters now there's some stuff in here for what to do if the battle goes wrong um, basically ways to um, make it prevent a TPK in that situation. You know, what to do if the battle starts going poorly for the heroes. Um, and there's some modifiers that are suggested in here that you could make if you want to make it a little easier on the heroes. But ultimately, I think that sums up the ethos of these adventures pretty well, which is that Middle-earth is a dangerous place, and there are reason there aren't many adventurers. Um, and there aren't many old adventurers in particular, because it is a dangerous place, and servants of the enemy are likely to be stronger than free people's characters in direct combat. Um, in most situations, you know this is this is Galadriel's long defeat, right? Anyway, basically, I say that also as a sort of um, buyer beware. Because if you are expecting traditional 5e difficulties and you know you can fight every um, battle and use all your resources and then just long rest and you'll be okay, that's not what these adventures present. That's not what this game is, Adventures in Middle-Earth at all. But especially that's not what's in these adventures. Um, in that situation, you're expected to basically get the NPC down as quick as possible, and then just run. And there's no rules for running away in the sense that you have to make athletics checks or something like that. The, game, the adventure just says as you run away and you get back to the path, and none of the spiders follow you onto the path because of the ancient elf magic of the path. But ultimately, the point being that uh, these are pretty brutal. They're, they're pretty rough. They're, in my opinion, really good and very flavorful. Um, There's a lot of really good flavor in here a lot of cool things. There's also um, because almost every uh, Adventure contains a journey. There's a custom journey events table at the back Which is really cool there you for those uh, to talk mechanically about it for the journey for events You roll 1d 12 plus or minus certain modifiers um, and you get a number from one or less to 12 or higher and so there are 12 different journey events that are available. And one of the cool things is that um, these journey events... Higher is not always better, shall we say. Higher is often a more extreme result, not necessarily a better one. So for instance, the, the 12 result is um, mini meetings, fly you fools, as it puts it. And this could be, for instance, in my game last night the characters met uh Saruman the White without knowing that it was him um until kind of afterwards but they sort of were wandering through the Vale of Anduin and um Saruman the White was there doing something searching the gladden fields for something who knows what um and by who knows what i mean the the player characters don't know but the 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 Players themselves picked up on the idea that Saruman is searching for the one ring in the Gladden Fields because that's where Isildur died and lost it. Um, which is, is, you know, a great kind of flavorful piece of lore. Doesn't necessarily have to happen when the players happen to be marching through that area. Not necessarily. It's kind of coincidental, but that's sort of the way the stories work. So, anyway. Custom journey tables for all of the adventures, which is really cool And I think gives this product more longevity because while I wouldn't run these adventures for the same group multiple times I would definitely run them multiple times for different groups Especially with these custom journey tables that really change the flavor of the particular adventure that you're playing Um, Because you know if you roll an 8 versus you roll a 12 On the first journey event that's a a pretty serious difference between what um, happened at the different times which is cool I like that a lot Um, anyway this is really good I have ariador adventures and ariador adventures in PDF Um, ariador adventures is I've read more of and it's also really good Arabor adventures I have barely skimmed And I don't remember what levels that one is built for. I think it might be for a kind of tighter range band of levels, but I don't remember for certain. So um, do some research yourself if you're gonna buy that one. And these are sort of designed to go with the region guides. That's another thing to say is that Wilderland Adventures goes with Ravanian, Erebor Adventures goes with the Lonely Mountain region guide, and Ariador Adventures goes with the Rivendell region guide. So, there's a sort of sense, I think, one of the sort of possibilities for using this material, like I said, is to kind of fill out a sandbox with sort of special missions, essentially. And you could use the region guide for your sandbox material, and this for kind of more of a story woven through the sandbox. And uh, I think that would make for a really good experience. So... The last one to talk about is the Merkwood campaign, but I have to run for a second, so I'm going to pause the recording and be right back. All right, sorry about that. Um, I had to rush off to take care of something real quick, but we are back with the Merkwood campaign. Now, what is the Merkwood campaign? The Merkwood campaign is in essence, a great big kind of semi-sandbox campaign for the area around Mirkwood, the Wilderland. And it is, in essence, um, if you want to run a big...
1: So the... uh, Well...
0: The um, One Ring had the Darkening of Mirkwood campaign. This is the Adventures in Middle-Earth version, the Mirkwood campaign. Um, What this is, is essentially a, like I said, a great big kind of fairly sandboxy Campaign in the sense that there's um, a lot of stuff going on in the world that the players can engage with or not engage with Although the expectation is that they will engage with most of it um, or most of it that they're
1: Able to engage with in a sense Um, Yeah
0: basically what it gives you is the information for what happens every year what goes on and it gives you a little bit of um, material to use in terms of building your adventure now um, in terms of building the adventure this is not nearly as kind of fully worked out as the Wilderland adventures or the Ariador adventures or the Erebor adventures What this gives you is sort of an adventure framework for every year and basically says you fill in the details. Now, the adventure framework is really good, and that's sort of necessary for a great big campaign like this because obviously what is going to happen, the expectation for this is that this campaign lasts somewhere on the order of 30 years of in-game time. It starts with... 2947 of the third age and ends in 2977 of the third age so 30 years of stuff for you to play the idea being that there's an adventuring phase that covers most of or a good chunk of the year and then a fellowship phase at the end of every year probably a fellowship phase over kind of the end of autumn to the beginning of spring. And then adventuring phase for spring and summer and sometimes in autumn and sometimes even into winter if you've got a whole lot to take care of. Um,
1: but there are a whole lot of of things that happen, essentially. Um, like I said, this is...
0: is uh, I say sandbox e. Um, the material in here is not quite a a true sandbox, in the sense. It's not a tale of years that is, here's what happens if the players don't get involved. Um, There's events like that, and there's the expectation that there are a lot of things that will go on while the players are not involved, but then there's also sort of an adventure framework for every year. Now, you could, if you decided switch up things and say, you know, this year we're not going to do what's expected in this book. We're going to go off and do something else. Um
1: that is totally um totally doable. But um anyway, that's a um
0: a thing that you could you could do if you did not want um to necessarily follow exactly what's in here. Um, but this is 30 different kind of adventure prompts, adventure, lightly written adventures um, with a lot of material for you to fill out stuff. Um, not a whole lot of material that you necessarily need to fill out, by which I mean
1: there's... um There's enough here that it would probably be hard
0: to run it totally out of the book, but there's also enough here, or there's not enough here that you could probably run this just out of the book without any extra effort the way that I think you could with Wilderland Adventures. Um, but there is enough here that there's not a whole lot of work needed to turn this into a good campaign, in my opinion. Um, You would probably need to, you'd want to write some sort of like backstory or tie in stuff for the player characters. You'd want to fill out some of the adventures. And obviously, on the fellowship phases, there's not a lot of material for what happens on the fellowship phase because that's supposed to be directed by the players, right? And so you would add to the story with these fellowship phase uh, actions and and events and all that sort of stuff. But ultimately, this, this is a lot of material for a really good campaign now there is
1: sort of a question um in my mind about
0: whether or not this is the best version of this campaign um and that is just to say that in my opinion the One Ring is so good and is really well-suited to the Darkening of Mirkwood campaign that I think... And One Ring, one of the other things, is that it has a much flatter advancement path. Um I should go like that so you can actually see my hand moving. Um, a much flatter advancement path. You do get um, more capable in the One Ring as your characters get advancements and get experience and all that sort of stuff. But not that much more capable. Not, you never become... you know. It's not a 1 to 20 game. It's more like a 1 to 5 or 1 to 6 game spread out over a much longer period. Um, and that is sort of my only concern with the Mirkwood campaign for Adventures in Middle-Earth. So what I would say is similar to my suggestion about Adventures in Middle-Earth, the core books, which is if you really like 5e already and you know it really well then all of this stuff is great, great stuff. The Mirkwood campaign, you'll have a ton of fun with it, and it'll be great. If you are really into Tolkien's Legendarium and you do not have a preference about system, One Ring might be the way to go. Now, One Ring is also... um, It looks like... I checked some of the sites uh, a little while ago. It looks like One Ring books can be a little more expensive, so that is a concern, too. Um... And One Ring, you need Funky Dice for it, and it's a little harder to set up and roll 20, and it's, it's a little more work in general. Um, but One Ring is a really excellent game. Adventures in Middle-Earth is still a really excellent game. My sort of plan with this, um, I'm running the Wilderland Adventures for my Thursday night group, so we're going to do that for a while. We're only on the second adventure right now, so it's going to be a couple more sessions for the second adventure and then a couple sessions for each adventure. So you've easily got... Um, you know, twenty or thirty sessions just in the Wilderland Adventures book, um, and you've probably got sixty to eighty sessions in the Merkwood campaign. So even more content available there if you wanted to play the full Merkwood campaign. And if you were playing the full Merkwood campaign, you could also intersperse the adventures from Wilderland Adventures if that's what you wanted to do. Um, Mirkwood campaign also will benefit from the Rovanian region guide um, in a way that if because it is sort of more sandboxy, um, having that material is probably a good idea. But my kind of end goal is basically to convince my players after they have played a fair bit of Adventures in Middle-earth that we might try the One Ring, and then assuming that they like the One Ring, we would play the Darkening of Mirkwood campaign in the One Ring. Um, Because I think the One Ring will do a better job of modeling the world and the themes and the tone and all that sort of stuff for a really long campaign than Adventures in Middle-Earth does. Just because, as much as anything, of the level growth. Now, level growth in 5e is flatter than it is, for instance, in 3rd and 3rd, 3.5 and Pathfinder and stuff, or definitely than 4th. But it is hard for me to get around the fact that you know a level 10 character has uh almost ten well not quite ten times as many hit points as a level one character and um that seems very gameist to me and not really in keeping with the spirit of um the spirit of the world in the earth in some ways. Um so that is my only sort of objection to this material. Um, which is not to say that it's bad, and I don't regret buying it or anything like that. It is just to say that One Ring is such a good game; it's sort of hard to recommend Adventures in Middle Earth over One Ring, unless you unless that stuff doesn't bother you. If you if you like your level based design, if you like your characters, you know, leveling up and becoming more and more kind of super heroic. Um, if you like five E in general. This is great material. This, this Adventures in Middle-Earth stuff is really good. It is still very flavorful material um, for Middle-Earth. It is um, a whole lot of fun. There's some really good... I'm going to do a sort of third video in this series that is not me talking specifically about what's in the books, but just talking a little bit about my experience of running Adventures in Middle-Earth. Because I think there's some, some really cool changes to the way that base game 5E works in Adventures in Middle-Earth that really help um, supplement the feel in ways that are not necessarily obvious at first glance. So I'm going to do a sort of third video about that. But that's not going to be for a little while. That's probably going to be in like a week or two. Um, anyway. Adventures in Middle-Earth, the supplemental material, it's all really good stuff it's really just a matter of what do you want what do you need um, if you're sandboxing in one region of middle earth get that region guide if you want pre-written adventures get the adventure thing and if you want to do a sort of grand campaign in middle earth in the Wilderland, land Mirkwood campaign is still um really great stuff and and the people who have played it um a number of them, I've, I've talked to some people who have played it and all that sort of stuff, and they, um... yes, it's, it's, it's like playing Dracula Dossier or the Great Pendragon Dragon campaign or one of these other kind of legendary grand campaigns in uh, role-playing, um, in my opinion. It's just sort of a question of Darkening Merkwood versus Adventures in Middle-earth Mirkwood campaign. Which do you go with? Because um, life's too short to do both of them, maybe. I don't know. Maybe maybe not. Maybe you could do both of them and compare and contrast, but I probably don't have the time to do that um, anytime soon. So anyway, that's sort of my final, my final thing on um, Adventures in Middle-Earth in terms of an overview. Like I said, it's all really good content. Um, each of the region books has valuable stuff in it beyond just the sort of gazetteer of that part of the world. The adventures, like I said, they're really, um, in my opinion, they're quite well-written, and they're a lot of fun. They are uh, tough, and they embrace much more of a sort of OSR, combat-as-war-feel than some uh, 5e content does. Um, you're, you're gonna have close calls. We, we had a close call last night, to be honest, in um, my uh, Wilderland Adventures game that I run for my family, um, which was, it was great. It was fun and everybody had a good time apparently, but uh, it, was, it was pretty brutal pretty rough, pretty rough stuff that they got themselves into. And there's more rough stuff in that adventure coming up. So we're going to have to see, um, how they do dealing with it. Um, you, you know, it is a different ethos than fully balanced 5e. And the Mirkwood campaign, even if nothing else, uh, worth reading in my opinion, because it's, it's a, a a sort of grand tale and it's sad, right? It's a it's 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 the long defeat. It's it's Elrond's many fruitless victories. Um rough stuff. Um but really good if you know if you are into that particular flavor. It's it's great for that. Anyway, all of that being said um, if you want to get in contact with me, at Couch from Palace on Twitter, anchor.fm slash Pelham's Wasteland, leave a comment on YouTube, and I will respond to your comment. I have been Arlen Walker. I have been live from Pelham's Wasteland,
1: and I will see you next time. Take care, everybody.